I probably shouldn't have touched that. <laughs> Sorry, Nathan. Okay, one of my favorite Christmas movies is A Christmas Story. Have you ever seen it? Raise your hand if you've seen A Christmas Story. Okay. There are, so our family, we like to drop one-liners from movies uh, when, 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 when we hear a line of movie. And one of the probably most frequently quoted lines that, that my family quotes from A Christmas Story is, oh, it must be Italian. And if you've never seen the movie, what happens is, is this comes from when, when, when the dad in the movie wins a major award. The award is shipped to his house and it comes in this big wooden crate and across the top of the wooden crate is tinseled the word fragile. But as the dad reads it, he doesn't recognize it and he, he's, he's phonetically pronouncing it and he says, fragile. And in the background, you hear his wife saying, it's fragile. But, and then he immediately follows up with, oh, it must be Italian. And so the quintessential line of this movie, though, <clears throat> excuse me, the quintessential line of this movie stems from when, when Ralphie tells an adult what he wants for Christmas. And he hears, you'll shoot your eye out. Because what he's asking for in this movie is something that he just desires most of all. And so the, the movie follows around the theme of this little boy named Ralphie. And he tells everybody that he knows what he wants for Christmas. The, the one thing that he wants to unwrap on Christmas morning. And he even incorporates this into an essay that he writes for school. And he's so proud of this essay, by the way, that he puts it in a special packet or a special paper and he lays it on the teacher's desk. And as he does this, he begins to daydream. And, and he's in front of the entire class, still in front of the teacher's desk. And as he daydreams, he, 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 he envisions in his mind his teacher grading the work of his classmates. And he's pretty brutal for his classmates because you can see the teacher writing big Fs on papers and putting them aside. And she's just exasperated by what she's reading. But what happens though during his daydream is she comes, she comes to Ralphie's paper and her exasperation turns to her being ecstatic. And, and she's just enthralled by what he has written. As a matter of fact, again, in, in Ralphie's daydream, the teacher says, this is the theme that I've been waiting for all of my life. Now, what was Ralphie's theme? Ralphie's theme was the official Red Ryder carbine action, 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass and a stock and this thing that tells time. <laughs> now, Ralphie's dreams are dashed, though, when he gets his paper back because the teacher had given him, a, well, he had, I shouldn't say the teacher gave, he earned a grade of a C+. Plus. And his intent was to use this as propaganda to lobby his mom and dad to say, look, even the teacher agrees that I should get this, but he can no longer do this. And so his scheme is foiled, and he thinks now that there's no way he's ever going to get the coveted Red Rider BB gun. Now, I have to desire, I have to admire Ralphie's desire, or Ralphie's efforts here, because he's writing about the thing that he desires the most. So now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, what does Psalm 119 have to do with the Red Rider BB gun? Well, actually, nothing. It's the essay. It's, it's the common thread here that, that Ralphie has when he writes this, this essay for class. And what the author of Psalm 119 wrote, they both wrote about the thing that they desire the most. And Ralphie knew every detail about this BB gun. Excuse me. It was Red Rider tested. 
It was a carbine action. It had 200 shot capacity. It was a range model, which means you could use it on the open range. It had a compass in the stock, and I don't know why he didn't call this a clock or a watch, but this thing that tells time. So similarly, the Psalm of 119, he, he takes to prose to communicate his desire. And what we see in his desire in Psalm 119 is he's got a deep, rich desire for God's law and the relationship that one develops with God when one knows God's law, reads God's law, loves it, and obeys it. Now, early in the, in the, in the Rhythm of Renewal series, Pastor Justin preached on renewed by God's word from Psalm chapter one. And today, as we close out this series, I'm gonna simply add part two to this. And so we're gonna, our, our title for today's message is renewed by God's word, part two, as we focus on Psalm 119. And the overall theme of this, or the, the sermon in a sentence, if you will, is delighting in God's word is a result of being renewed by God's word. Delighting in God's word is a result of being renewed by God's word. And we're gonna look at three major points today. First of all, the structure of, the, of renewal from God's word. Secondly, we'll see a path to renewal. And that, I'm specifically not using the, the, the prescriptive the, but a path to renewal in God's word. And thirdly, we'll see the results of renewal from God's word. Now, point number one, structure of renewal from God's word. The, the only thing that we know about the author of this psalm is that he had, a, he had a great desire for God and a desire for God's law. Now, we don't know who it was, and, and we don't know exactly when this was written. Although scholars do believe that this was likely written after the Babylonian exile and probably during the time of Ezra. And the structure he chooses to write is, is a poem that's written in acrostic form. So what this means is, it, this one example of being in acrostic form, is that each poetic unit begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In total, there are 176 verses, there are 22 stanzas, and each stanza contains eight verses. And each of those verses within each stanza begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So look with me in your copy of God's word. And if you're reading from the ESV, you, you, you see there above verses one through eight, the word Aleph, okay? That, that's the Hebrew word for the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you're reading from a different translation, it, it, it might have the word listed there. It might even have the Hebrew character. But again, this is to show the acrostic form or the, or, the, or the structure of this. And then you'll see this with the successive stanzas throughout as well. So for example, verses 9 through 16, the word Beth in, in, in Hebrew is actually pronounced Veth. We see that in there. And again, this continues on through the remaining 20 stanzas of the poem. Now, it, it's hard for us to see the poetic form or the poetic flow of this acrostic in the English translation. So I've got a copy of a Hebrew passage here of verses one through eight. There we go. It might be a little bit hard to see. And, and I know that most of you probably don't read Hebrew. I don't either, and that's okay. But what we can see here is, is you'll notice the verses, first of all, are aligned to the right side of the page. And that's because the Hebrew language is read from top to bottom, but from left to right, as opposed to the way we, we read English from top to bottom I said that backwards. That's that dyslexia kicking in, by the way. 
Hebrew is read top to bottom, right to left, as opposed to our English, we read from top to bottom, left to right. And you can see the verse numbers on the right side there. And the, court, the, the, the character that's to the immediate left of each of those verse numbers is that Hebrew character Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so in that stanza, we begin to see right away the author's love for God's word because of the structure that he chose to write this psalm. And an argument can be made that, that the author's intent is to show not only to show his complete and total love for God's law as he writes an example of God's law following every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, showing a completeness of that. Now, there are other acrostic poems within the book of Psalms, but this Psalm 119 is by far the most extensive using all letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This poem is also known as the Great Psalm because of its length. It is the longest psalm in, 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 in all the Psalter. It's also the longest chapter in the entire book of the Bible. In fact, this chapter is longer than 30 entire books in the Bible. Now, there, was a, there are critics of this psalm. Some say it's tiresome and some say it's weary because of its, or it's, it's wearisome because of its length. In fact, one, one, one scholar commented, Psalm 119 is the most contentless product that has ever darkened a piece of paper. Wow. That, that's a pretty strong statement. And especially if, you, if we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we, we read that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I think the critics of this psalm completely miss the intent of what the author wanted to communicate. And again, that is a, a, a deep love for God's word. So, so rather than being renewed by God's word, the critics are more focused on the form or the style of the way that this author wrote this. So many of us probably or likely know that, that Psalm 119 follows the acrostic form. But it wasn't until about two years ago that I noticed that nearly every verse in this psalm has a direct reference to God's word. That is, 170 out of 176 verses reference God's law. The longest chapter in the canon of scripture and nearly every verse has a direct reference to God's word. And with this, we, we, we see the, the continued author's love for God's law and for God himself within the structure of this poem. And the author doesn't just use the same word to describe or to identify God's law. In fact, let me, let me read here. I'm gonna read verses one through nine. And I'm gonna hold up my fingers here as we get to a different use of the term for God's word. So starting in verse one, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. 
Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then in verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. That's a repeat from verse 5, by the way, so I'm not going to put up the eighth finger yet, but I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And then in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Eight different ways the author is using here to describe God's law. And, 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 and what we see here, this, in, in, in verse 1, the, the Hebrew word here for law is one that's probably familiar to some of you. It's the word Torah. And the word Torah has a dual meaning. One meaning is it has a very broad sense, and a second meaning it has a very narrow sense. So the broad sense would be, again, the, the word Torah or law refers to any instruction flowing from the revelation of God as the basis of life and action. In the narrow sense, the word Torah refers to the Torah as written by Moses, and that could either be the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the, the priestly law, or the Deuteronomic law. I can't believe I said that word right. We're not going to try it again. So according to scholar David Friedman, the other seven terms that are here in verses 1 through 9, these other seven terms can be, should be considered synonymous or at least very closely associated with, with Torah. And so rather than using the same word over and over again, Again, we see this, the structure of this poem in the acrostic form, and we see the author give us a very rich, vibrant view of God's law or God's word. And, 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 and again, using these terms synonymous, I'm, you're, you're going to hear me reference God's law, and you're going to hear me reference God's word today throughout. Think of me using those two terms meaning the same thing, okay? So while these terms are synonymous, they give us an expanded picture of how the author viewed God and God's law. So I'm going to, a, a little bit of definition here for you. Uh, I don't expect you to write these down. This is give a little bit more of context. So the word law, as we've already identified, is, means instruction, okay? And again, referencing the Torah. Testimonies are what God solemnly testifies to be his will. Ways are the moral orientation of, the life's, of life's path that the Lord wants for his people, Precepts, what God has appointed to be done. Statutes, what the divine lawgiver has laid down. Commandments, what God has commanded. Rules, what the divine judge has ruled to be right and just. And word refers to what God has spoken. Now, as you look at these definitions, it's like, boy, these are, it's hard to differentiate some of these from the other ones. But that's the point of the author using these different terms. They, they mean the same, okay? They, mean, they, they, they can all be referencing to, to Torah, but they also have slightly different nuances that give us a better picture of why he has such a love for God and God's word. Now, before we move on to the next point, I do want to clarify that my intent for using the phrase structure of renewal this does not mean or imply a, a, a legalistic system or legalistic structure that one must follow in order to obtain renewal. Rather, the, the structure of renewal is guided more by the structure of the poem that the author used to communicate his love for God's word. 
And again, the psalmist shows us this structure of renewal from God's word by giving us a very rich look at God's law. So our second point is we're going to look now at a, at a path to renewal in God's word. And we're going to focus on three steps. And, and these three steps are not exhaustive. Okay? These are just three examples really from the first few passages, the first few verses within the psalm. And we see the first, the first step here is in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So a path to renewal in God's word is to walk in the law of the Lord. Now, the word walk refers to making linear motion from one place to another. Okay? It is also a metaphor for behavior or actions from people. So if we think about this in the aspect of making linear motion, uh, again, we see this in, I shouldn't say again, but we see this in Psalms a few different times throughout as well. Now, Tammy and I have a goal every morning, well, most four to five times a week, that we, we do a walk around our neighborhood. I, I walk and, and she jogs because I don't like to run. So, but, but this is about 30 minutes of time in the morning for us to just spend some time together and, and talk about things and, and to get some exercise and just have that doing something that we both enjoy. So no matter how, but how, no matter how fast we move and no matter how long we walk that path in our neighborhood, we are never going to make it to Avon because we're not walking in the direction of Avon. We're not walking in the way of Avon, okay? We're only gonna do this in our neighborhood. So Paul gives us a better picture of this, however, in Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Very, very similar picture here that what the psalmist gives us in, in Psalm 19, verse one. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who, who walk in the law of the Lord. Therefore, I a, prisoner, I, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It, again, gives us that picture of moving from one point to another moving toward renewal, moving toward a stronger relationship with God. We, we can contrast this with, with what, to a little bit, with what uh, from, from Psalm chapter one gives us a similar view, but a different way to get there. Um, Psalm chapter one says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So our focus needs to be on walking in the law of the Lord. A second step in the renewal of God's word is to keep God's testimonies. We see that in verse two. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Now, I do wanna clarify the word keep in verse two actually comes from a different word for keep than what we see in verses four, five, and eight. So my, 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 my aspect on this is focused solely on verse two because those other verses have a little bit of a slight meaning with the word keep. But this word means to preserve, to keep, to maintain, even to protect, and, and to protect from the standpoint of keeping something safe from danger, okay? So to keep God's testimonies. 
And again, testimonies in this context are that which God solemnly testifies to be his will. We're, we're to preserve them, we're, we're to keep them so that we, we do not risk the danger of losing them. The psalmist gives us a view in this in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart. That, that gives a picture of treasuring something, keeping something close, similar to that of maintaining. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. So we, we see this to keep God's testimonies so that we, we don't run into the danger of forgetting them or losing them, turning away from God and sinning against him. One of our pastors was, was talking with a, um, someone this week about our celebrations document. And, and, and the reason that we published the celebrations document is to reinforce what God is, has done in this past year and what God continues to do, how God continues to bless this work and his ministry here. It, it's not, we didn't publish the document so we can beat our chest and say, look what we did. We published it so we can remember and look back on God's faithfulness. So in this conversation that one of our pastors had with this person, the person said, I've been memorizing Psalm 78. And, and Psalm 78 speaks to the importance of remembering what God has done. Because when, when, when the nation of Israel forgot what God did, they turned away from God and they turned to sin. And so as, as we see this in, in, in keeping, as we keep God's testimonies, we remember God's word, we remember God's law. And, and we, we protect it so that we don't risk the danger of losing it and turning away from God and then sinning against God. It helps to keep us aligned with who God is and what he is. We preserve what God has solemnly testified to be his will. We see another example of this in Joshua chapter one, verse eight. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Why? For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. We, we keep God's testimony so we don't forget, turn away, and sin against God. So two, first two steps, we walk in the law of the Lord and we keep his testimonies. A third step to renewal in God's word we see in verse six. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. The word here for fixed simply means to hold fast or to affix our attention onto something. How many of you watched the Ohio State-Georgia game last night? Okay. There was an awesome play. Being a Big Ten fan, I was obviously rooting for Ohio State. One of the highlights for me was in the second quarter of the game, Georgia, the running back breaks through the line of scrimmage, and he is just sprinting towards the end zone. And he's got his eyes focused on the end zone. And there is no way that the Ohio State defense is going to catch him. And he's moving. And all of a sudden, a few things happen. About the time he hits the 20-yard line, first of all, the announcer says, oh, touchdown dogs. And then the running back does this. He looks over his shoulder. He had his eyes fixed on the end zone, but he took his focus off of the end zone and he was distracted to see where the people were behind him. And he tripped and he fell. <laughs> That's what I did. I laughed when he did that. 
Because again, I'm an Ohio State fan. So, well, Big Ten fan anyway. But the point is, when, when we're focused on something, when our eyes are fixed in one direction, that's where we're going to go. One of the things I learned from taking a motorcycle safety foundation skills course several years ago was when you're riding a motorcycle and you're going around a curve, you always want to look where you want the bike to go when you're exiting the curve. Our, our instructors were very clear. If you look at the yellow line, you're going to cross it and go into oncoming traffic. If you look at the white line, you're going to cross it and drive off the road. If you keep your eyes focused where you want the bike to be when you're exiting the curve, you'll stay between the, lane, the lines, you'll successfully execute the curve, and you'll continue on. So it's where our eyes are fixed is important whether it be keeping our eye on the end zone if you're running back, running with the football, or whether you're riding a motorcycle. And also it's important being renewed by God's word because our actions follow where our eyes are looking. We, we see an example of this in Matthew chapter 14. The, the disciples are in a boat, and keep in mind, several of the disciples were fishermen. They're in the boat at night, and they see this thing walking across the water. I say thing, we know it's Jesus, but they see this thing walking across the water. And they don't know what it is. They initially think it's a ghost. So Jesus speaks to them, says, don't worry, it's me. And Peter says, hey, if it's you, tell me to come out. And Jesus said, come on out. And, and Peter, I can also imagine this. There's no doubt in my mind that every disciple in the boat had their eyes fixed on Jesus. Because it's not too often you see somebody walking across the water. And, and again, they thought that it was the ghost. So as Peter's focused on Jesus, he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus, he steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. But just like the running back last night, something happened. Something caught Peter's attention. And he, and he changed his focus from keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus and he turned away and looked at the effects of the wind. And he became afraid and he began to doubt, and he sank. Now, it's always easy to go back and second guess this, and sometimes I've wondered, Peter, how could you possibly have been distracted by the creation, by the wind that, that the God of the universe created when you're looking right at him? And not only are you looking at him, but you're looking at him demonstrating his sovereignty and power and authority over another part of his creation, the water. He's walking on top of it. But Peter gets distracted because he no longer has his eyes fixed on Jesus. He, he might have seen Jesus peripherally, in the, in, the, in the periphery, but he was more focused on something else. And he became afraid, and he doubted, and he sank. If, if we keep our eyes focused on God's law, we... we we re reduce the risk of that temptation. We reduce the risk of forgetting who God is, how powerful he is, and what he wants for us to do in our lives. Having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. So three steps from the path of renewal. Again, not, not exhaustive. Walk in the law of the Lord, verse one. Keep his testimonies, verse two. And having our eyes fixed on God's commandments in verse six. Now our third point this morning. We're going to look at the results of renewal by God's word. One of the results of renewal by God's word is that we are blessed. Turn with me back to Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, 
who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Those whose way is blameless, those who walk in the law of the Lord will be blessed. Those who keep God's testimonies, those who seek God with their whole heart will be blessed. And, and the meaning of the word blessed goes way beyond happy. It's uber happy, if you will. And it, it, it could even be phrased as, how happy are those? Not as a question, but as, a, but as an exclamation. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord? This is a heightened, stint, a heightened state of happiness that results in joy from favorable circumstances. We read a few weeks ago from Jeremiah chapter 17, and, and this is a good example to use here again as well when it comes to the word blessed. Blessed is the man who trusts in the law of the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the stream and does not fear when he comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, but it does not cease to bear fruit. The significance of this is, is that the blessings that we receive from God, the, the, the state of blessedness is not just in the here and now, but it points to the future as well. It, it points to the hope that we have in Christ, knowing that God promises us and that we are encouraged by his promise that we have the hope of Christ's return. Blessed is the one who walks in God's law. Blessed is the one who maintains and preserves God's testimony in his life. Blessed is the one who has his eyes fixed on God's commandments. This helps us to rely on God when the droughts come. And they will come. But the psalmist here is, is, is focused on this renewal that comes from the blessedness. When, when, when that someone is behind you saying, or even shouting, you'll shoot your eye out in discouragement. We can rely on God's blessedness. Or maybe it's that little voice that you hear. Did God really say, blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord? Did God really say, blessed are those who seek him with their whole heart? Yes, God really did say this. When, when we don't keep these in our heart, when we don't walk in the way of the Lord, we can be tempted to forget these things. But this blessedness that we receive from being renewed by God's word, it encourages us and it helps us to know that God is faithful in his promises. A second result of renewal by God's word, we see in verse six. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. See, shame is a feeling of, it's that painful feeling and the emotional distress that's accompanied by the fear of disapproval of those around us. I see this a lot in, uh, I or we see this potentially in young children as well. When, when young children do something that they know is wrong, they won't look you in the eye, right? They're, they're usually looking down at the ground at their shoes, 
doing something like this when, when we're trying to, to discipl- lovingly discipline them and to identify the thing that they did that was wrong and, and, and trying to show right behavior. But there's that, that shame that's associated with that. And sometimes we have to reach down and, and grab them very gently on the chin, lift their eyes up so they can see. And even then, there's so much shame that rather than looking us right in the eye, they're looking over here or they're looking over there because they don't want to look us in the face, right? It's that, that shame that comes from doing something that we know is wrong. And, and the psalmist does not want that experience of the painful feeling. The psalmist does not want that emotional distress and utter despair, The psalmist does not want to receive the disapproval of a loving God by not having his eyes fixed on God's commandments. The the result of keeping our eyes fixed on God's commandments is not to be put to shame. We are to stay focused on God's commands like Peter when he had his eyes fixed on Jesus when he stepped out of the boat, right? Right? There, there, there was no doubt that Peter was staring Jesus in the face. One, just a few minutes before that, he thought he was a ghost. So he definitely had a, Peter's attention. And secondly, when someone tells you with authority to come out of a boat and step not into but onto the water, I'm sure Peter's gaze, his, I even shouldn't say his gaze, his focus was clearly fixed on Jesus Christ. So we see that renewal of not being put to shame. A third result of renewal by God's word. And, and, and we see this in several verses here in, verse 109, in Psalm 119. So I'm going to read these for you, and you can just jot down the references for these passages. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as all riches. So I forgot to say that. Our, our third renewal is that we deli- God's word is delighting. We, we delight in God's word. So verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. You lead me in the paths path of your commandments, for I delight in it. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. And finally, verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. As as we're renewed by God's word, we delight in God's word. I I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Do you long for God's salvation? Is God's law your delight? So what does delight in God's word look like? 
Let me give you a real-life example of this. Len mentioned in prayer the passing of Phyllis Meharry about a week and a half ago, and her, her funeral was Thursday. And I'm going to read a paragraph from her obituary, and I want you to listen for Psalm 119. Phyllis modeled joy-filled contentment. As she aged and her world narrowed, her children would see her approach a new obstacle or limitation and would watch her adjust and continue to live a contented life within these new circumstances. And her prayers were always filled with gratefulness to God for his many blessings. The words of Psalm 119 just ring out to me from this testimony. Verse 14, the way of your testimonies, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as all my riches. Phyllis modeled joy-filled contentment. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Phyllis's prayers were always filled with gratefulness to God for his many blessings. She had experienced the blessedness that we talked about, and that helped her to remember God's goodness and God's greatness. In verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Phyllis continued to live a joy-filled life within the new circumstances. When Phyllis faced obstacles or limitations, she resisted the temptation to complain about it and say, God, remove these obstacles. I want to continue to do the things that I've done. Nope. Being renewed by God's word, she modeled joy-filled contentment. Her prayers were always filled with gratefulness for God's blessings. And she continued to live a joy-filled life within the new circumstances. That, church, is a beautiful picture of being renewed by God's word. And that's why we have the banner over here. It says, delighting in the gospel. Again, broad sense, narrow sense. In the narrow sense, that's the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. In, in the broad sense, it's the entire canon of scripture, and we delight in that. And we can delight in that when we're renewed by God's word. Now, whether or not you've received the ultimate renewal, and what I mean by that is, we, we, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are made a new creation. We have the ultimate renewal through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've not experienced that, I'd love to speak with you after the service today behind the stone wall. Me or any of the other pastors would love to have an opportunity to speak with you and talk with you in a little bit more detail about this. So the results of renewal by God's word. We are blessed, 
We are not put to shame, and we delight in God's word. So a few points of application that are going to be up here on the screen. These are going to look familiar because these are the same application points that we had when we started this series with Renewal by God's Word in Psalm 1. Today I want to highlight two of them, okay? And that is reading God's Word and praying Scripture out loud. Reading God's Word. I'm going to pull out my phone here real quick as an example. We have an opportunity, a, a tool for you called the Dwell app. I don't know why I pulled that out, you can't see it. But the Dwell app you can use on your phone, okay? If, if you don't have this yet, we, 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 we had this available for individuals that took the, the, uh, uh, the survey that Pastor Casey sent out a few weeks ago, and at the end of that, it gave you a link to that. If you didn't complete the survey, you can still get this. If you're a member or regular attender of Parkside, we want you to have this. And if you don't have it yet, please see Pastor Casey, and we can get you set up with that. In, in, in the Dwell app, there are eight different Bible reading plans, Okay. Seven of those take you through the whole Bible in one year. One of those takes you through the New Testament. And it's already there. You, you can read along with it as the app reads the Bible to you. It, it's important for us to get deep scripture intake, where we do deep studies into what God's word says, where we may be focused on, on smaller passages of scripture. But it's also important for us to have that wide intake, reading more broadly, maybe not in-depth study, but just trying to see what a whole book says in a short period of time. Now, if a reading plan sounds daunting to you, I get that, but if we can't free up 90 seconds, I'll paraphrase Brian Regan, if you got to microwave your Pop-Tart rather than put it in the toaster, you got to free up some time in your schedule. If, 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 if we can't spend 90 seconds to either read or listen to God's word every morning, We've got to free up time on our schedule. One way to do this, if you take every stanza in Psalm 119, made up of eight verses, there are 22 of them. You can start today, and by January 22nd, you'll be through all of Psalm 119. And in that, as you read that every day, you'll read six to eight, almost eight in almost every one of these stanzas, you'll read about eight comments directly referencing God's word from the perspective of the psalmist who wrote about this. Now, that's pretty easy to do. It, it, it takes less than 90 seconds to read one of those stanzas. If you already have a Bible reading plan, praise God, that's awesome. If not, let me challenge you to read eight verses of Psalm 119 every day for the first 22 days of this year, okay? There's even still time. Today's still the first day of the year, right? I met, I met, I talked to Brother Mick right before the service. He said, I haven't seen you in the hill. I haven't seen you since last year, brother. So brand new year starting off today, and we can start off it by reading God's word, okay? Now, what this will also do, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, this will help you develop that muscle memory. And maybe after three weeks, maybe you're gonna spend more than 90 seconds reading God's word. Again, if you're looking for a plan, and, and, and there's nothing... That I, I, I want to be careful with, with what's on the Dwell app. There are some good tools to read through the Bible in a year. I don't do that every year. I do it sometimes, I, I, and I'm not doing it this year. 
But if you've never done it, it's a great thing to start just to see what God says throughout that. Again, Bible reading plans that get you through the whole account of Scripture in one year, and there's one on there that gets you through the New Testament in one year. And there are other, if you just Google Bible reading plans, you'll see several different types. One of my favorite ones, though, to get through the course of the year is called the chronological plan, and it takes you through the Bible in the order that the events happened. So within about two weeks, you'll jump from part of Genesis, actually, I think it's in the second week, you jump in and read the book of Job because it records the events in which they happened, okay? So scripture intake, read scripture. Secondly, pray scripture out loud. Now, prayer can be daunting in and of itself, okay? And, and, and I think that all of, most of us as Christians struggle with, the, with, with prayer. And I, I've got a copy of this book. I don't think we have any more of these in the bookstore, but I've, I've got one copy left. And if you want this, come see me after the service. I'll be behind Stonewall. It's yours for the taking. And this is a book by Don Whitney, who has done some incredible book, has a few incredible books on, on spiritual disciplines of leading a godly life. And one of them, is, and he expands here on prayer and specifically praying through the Bible. One of the things that caught my attention about this book is he starts early on and say, do you, do you dread prayer because you find yourself praying the same thing about the same things? Yes, I do. This is a great book to help you with that, and more specifically, to help you pray scripture. And, and not just time, at times you'll hear us as pastors when, when we're praying, we'll actually pray a passage of scripture. It's that, but it's also reading a verse. And, and, and he provides some tips and some suggestions on how do you pray that verse? How do you pray around that verse? How do you pray about that verse? How, how do you pray for that verse to be applied in your life? It, it's a great, it's an easy read, it's a great book. Okay, so as we close, um, before I pray, well, actually, let me go ahead and pray first, and then we'll come back to this. Let me pray. God, we love you, and, and I thank you for the time this morning as we've, as we've looked at your word and what this psalmist wrote, 170 different references, specific references about your word the longest chapter in the entire canon of scripture and it is entirely focused on your word, the richness of it. God, help us to see that. Help us to have a love of your word. God, help us to be renewed by your word. And God, help us to see the results of that, that, that we can be blessed, that we will not be put to shame, that we can delight in what you have written for us to read in your word. And God, the, the incredible thing about this is these words were written over hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, but they are still applicable to us for encouragement. And as we look at this and what your word says about your son, Jesus Christ, God, help that to jump off the page at us that we can see more of who you are, the richness of your word, and to have the blessing and the delight of doing that. God, I thank you for this, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.